Welcome to the Digital Guardian Podcast. This is episode number five, and my name is Will Gradito. Today, I'll be joined by Mr. Roth Lose, Managing Director of Solutions Insight at Optiv. Also with me today is Mr. Tim Bandos. Tim, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself? Hey, doing everyone. Yep, Tim Bandos. I am the Director of Cybersecurity here at Digital Guardian. Thanks very much, Tim. So, Ralph, really excited to have you on the podcast. Episode five for us. Episode how many for you on your own podcast? Oh, about to publish two forty three. When you guys are listening to this, two forty three is already out. Wow! Congratulations. That's awesome. Two forty three. It's been a labor of love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, again, thanks very much for joining us today, and we're really excited to have you. Today, we're going to have. I think it'll be a pretty interesting conversation, specifically because of your background. You and I have obviously go way back in time here to a few other companies. Further, further than I think we'd like to admit. <laughs> and I know a lot about your background, but why don't, you, why don't you tell the audience, you know, kind of, you know, in a brief glimpse, what your background is, kind of how you got where you are today, and then what you're doing at Optive in your current role. And then we'll kind of jump right into some of the questions and answers. Surely doodly. So Raflos, I manage the Insight team at Optive. My history goes back quite a bit. You know, if we take the Wayback Machine, the late 90s-ish, when firewalls weren't an appliance yet. Fast forward, I've worked for enterprises, I've worked for consultancies, I've worked for big companies, small companies, I've worked for one of the world's largest networks, you know, watching things go wrong and trying to fix them, some of the smallest. And then I I'll run a framework organization. And what that means is my team is responsible for research, actually classical research, not what we typically think of in security, but actually studying and, and writing and talking on the topic of enterprise frameworks. So how do you make a security program repeatable? How do we measure it? What are the requirements? What are the levels of maturity? What are the components, outcomes, capabilities, all that beautiful stuff that seems boring, but we all suffer without. Awesome. Awesome. It's all, it's all important, right? Absolutely. You know, programmatic elements, strategies, it's, a, it's quite important. And that's a great background you've got. Again, really happy to have you here. So in your work at Optive, you obviously interact frequently with CISOs from a, a wide range of organizations, companies, verticals, industries, you know, in various sizes, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think is at the, at the top of CISOs' concerns in 2017 today? Where do you think that their priorities lie? What's keeping them up at night? Where do you think that they're being tasked either by the business and or stakeholders within the business to direct their efforts versus where they perhaps ought to direct their efforts? And do you see any any points of contention within that ecosystem in which CISOs find themselves operating? That's a good question. Well, I, and I think from my experience and sort of where I've been out talking to a lot of the security leaders, not all of them are CISOs, by the way, just I think it's cool to acknowledge that there's plenty of directors, managers, and other types of titles there. But from a security leadership perspective, I think what's really top of mind right now is the interesting climate that we're in from a business perspective. The M&A the last couple of years has slowed down in, in a lot of the industries. That's not universally true, obviously, but I think it's some insight into the way that security is evolving. And I think a lot of the the shine is wearing off of the, the FUD that has been used to implement various levels of security measures at companies. And so what I think is top of mind right now for a lot of security leaders is that they're being asked to take a hard look at how does security really start to impact the organization? And jokingly, was it maybe last week or week before that, I think it was Chris Weissopel, we were talking about Rob Rex started, if you guys know Rob, started a question on Twitter that basically said, hey, 
how are we, you know, what are we looking at for data breach measurements and, and the cost per record and everything? And we sort of got to a point of snarkiness and was hopeful said something to the effect of, hey, does that mean we're through the, the light of the tunnel? We've passed it, right? The golden age of security. I said, no, I, I don't think so. I think we're finally out of starting to see the tunnel at the end of the dark ages where everything was on fire. Everything was urgent. Everything was, you know, immediate critical and the world will burn down if we don't fix it right this moment, right now. And I think we're starting to look at, you know, the luminaries of the security world. And by those, I mean, those that they're actually leading it, not just the talking heads are starting to look at how do I have impact to the organization? If I have a limited amount of budget to spend as with anything, where do I put that? If you have a dollar, where do you put it? What do you spend most on? Is it preventative? Is it detection technologies and capabilities? Is it response? Is it the resetting of you know back to business, which isn't really typically not a security thing, but you know things like gold images and you know, immutable servers and backups and stuff like that. And it turns out the answer to that is all of those. And where this is all kind of leading us to is away from the agenda where it's buy, buy, buy. If you guys listen to Jim Cramer on, on Mad Money, he's got that little buy, buy, buy button, right? I thought you were doing I, an NSYNC thing there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, nothing. Not, not quite. Uh, although that would show our age a little. <laughs> but I think at this point, we're now implement, 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 right? So all that stuff that you've accumulated and amassed over the years, is it doing you good or, or is it just taking up closet space and power and generating heat? Like what's it doing? The word risk has been thrown around for years without really any actual knowledge of what in the heck that means. We're starting to finally approach that and try to tackle it and acknowledge the fact that we really actually have very little clue on how to measure risk and and, and look at this phenomenon in security because we don't have enough data to look at some of this stuff. So, you know, what's the top priority, I think, is getting the house in order, frankly. Right. So that was a great response, Raf. Getting the house in order, I mean, what are the steps to doing that initially, right? I think initially it's gaining visibility, but how do you describe that, you know, to a CISO or a manager or director of getting that into their organization and saying, this is what your issue is and this is how you solve it? I mean, how do they gain that visibility to start? So there's a couple of things. At the leadership level, it's really understanding the corporate priorities, understanding the dynamics of your company. So what type of organization do you work for? Is it a financial is it a healthcare company? Because the dynamics of that company will be dramatically different than, it, say, an educational not-for-profit, for example. The way that you're targeted, the way that you defend yourself, the tolerance for downtime and loss are all different. And the math formulas that we typically that we typically see tossed around largely don't account for that. I've seen some of the new stuff start to accommodate industry trends and the market that you're particularly in, but. On the whole, risk is not risk, right? Or even, you know, threat is not threat is not threat. And so there's a ton of these changing priorities. And step one generally is what are the dynamics of my company? What do I have at my disposal? What are my current capabilities? And that actually goes back to looking at what's my budget? What's my inventory of my team? How many people do I have? What are they doing right now? What are their skill sets? What are their hopes and dreams of aspirations? And how am I going to keep them here? as opposed to you know, training them and having them take off for a better job. So a lot of that is is inward reflective. And you know, I've heard, and this isn't phraseology I, I haven't heard in a long time since leaving GE years ago, but I've started hearing people ask for things like tools rationalization exercises. And I about fell out of my chair recently when somebody asked me that because I just sort of went, I'm sorry, I must have heard that wrong. Did you just <laughs> ask for a tools rationalization? They're like, yeah, we have, you know, last count, we have about 127 different security tools at our disposal. We're trying to understand what we should keep, what we should upgrade, what we should collapse. You know, when, when you've got 
three or four tools that all do relatively the same thing, but each have like a 1% thing that the others don't do so well. And so you buy because that's what we're taught, right? Buy best of breed, air quotes. What in the world does that mean? Does it all work together? Is it providing you actual benefit or is it creating more noise? That's all becoming part of these tools, rationalizations. And then ultimately, I think the last part of this is strategy assessments. Some executives are doing them on their own. Some of them are contracting third parties. But it's the question of, here's what I think I know about my organization and how we should be defending ourselves. How does that line up with what you know organization whoever's assessing them is what is you're seeing. And a lot of that is getting away from these checklists, you know, that we're being asked to do controls assessments. While there, I heard very recently a CISO that I've worked for and respect tremendously in the past, we were had this conversation about, you know, what he's working on. And he said, right now, my biggest thing for this quarter is to justify why I refused to, to you know, comply with controls assessments and said, okay, expand on that for me for a second, because that's interesting to me. Because doesn't it follow that once you have all your controls in place, you can just sort of go, okay, I wash my hands of this. And if anything bad happens, I did the best I could. Look, I checked all the boxes. And he's like, yeah, but think about it this way. You know, controls assessments, look at an orange and say, hey, that's an orange. But realistically, is it a California orange or is it a Florida orange? You know, is it a orange that was raised in the orbiter around the earth? Or is it raised on the moon? Is it sweet? Or is it sour? Is it orange? Is it green? You know, right? So looking at it from a slightly different perspective, and he's like, I fail controls assessments all the time because I don't have, for example, you know, I don't encrypt all of my endpoints. And they're like, there's endpoints where not, we don't encrypt and I fail controls audits. Then I have to tell people that it doesn't matter if I encrypt my endpoint. None of my endpoints actually have any valuable information because they are all virtual desktops. So that control is a waste of my company's money. And he's like, that's what I'm spending time on. And actually, I'm seeing more and more of that. It's actually a pretty interesting, pretty interesting approach to things. But I bet that is not a fun conversation to have with an assessor that simply looks for, you know, whether it's PCI or banking reg or somebody looks at a, you know, is this control in place? No, that's a fail. Yeah, checkbox auditing. I completely agree. And that's a great response. I mean, so he's taking more of a risk-based approach than to the control. So if the level of risk is X, he doesn't. I guess abide by that control. Is that what he's doing there? Yeah, and that's that's the idea, right? It, it seems sort of intuitive, but uh, it's, it's not <laughs> Sounds straightforward uh, to me. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's not. Yep. But that's not the way we're taught to behave necessarily. Mm-hmm. We're taught to behave. So one of the interesting side effects of my job is that I talk to a lot of CISOs because who cares more about repeatability and shortcutting the line um, that success curve? Well, obviously, new CISO, somebody that's never been a security leader before, right? So I talked to a lot of them and they're like, look, I just inherited this this organization. It's a mess from best I can tell. I'm told, tell us what you need to spend and justify it. And then we'll make it happen within reason. And he's like, I just, I don't know what to spend on. I, I, did, I just generally don't know what to spend the money on. Am I, should I be buying an endpoint tool? Should I be buying, or do I go buy a mail gateway or should I full disk encrypt? Or should I make sure that all of our badge access and remote access is good? Because I can't do all of those. So what do I do first? And those are some really, really hard questions. I got to tell you, I'm very excited that our industry is starting to ask these types of questions because I hear them more and more and more. And when I don't hear them from consultants, I hear them from the leadership out there. Some of it's management, some of it's leadership. As you, If you get listen to podcasts, you know those are not synonymous. 
I am hearing a lot of that, that, you know, look, I want to solve a problem, but I got to first understand whether it's a problem. Yeah, that's great to hear. So, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Will. Oh, I yeah. want to commandeer. So, I have like a ton of questions. No, go for guy. it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's an interesting point, right? So effectively, and this is, you know, this doesn't come as too much of a surprise to me just, you know, by virtue of my own travels as well, that, you know, understanding your environment and understanding the business that you're a part of, right? And the role in which a security organization plays as an enabler as opposed to a cost center is really paramount to the success or failure of a CISO, right? I think it's good and it's refreshing to, to hear that you're seeing CISOs take that embrace those thoughts and those ideals and really apply them in a way that's that's mindful toward the business and toward the goals that the business has as it relates to the security organization. I really do. I think, you know, you hit on something too, right? With, with regard to compensating controls and audits, right? I had to kind of quietly laugh so I wouldn't be picked up on the mic. <laughs> you were talking about the CISO who gave the example of failing an audit because he he lacked a, a compensating control for you no know, hold this encryption on a system that was actually a virtualized desktop. How silly right? is it that our that our industry can't change and evolve? And specifically speaking, those those individuals and those governance bodies that are tasked with auditing and providing assurance in environments that require you know such assurance from a governance perspective to the evolution of business, right? And how silly. Is it, you know, and would it be to find yourself having that conversation? I imagine it's silly, but at the same time, I imagine it's quite, it's quite, you know, confounding and potentially very irritating <laughs> when you have to, you know, describe how a system works that's essentially speaking a terminal and it doesn't actually contain any data and why that shouldn't be a failure and why it actually, to your point earlier, should be something that's just simply stated not part of the equation so that better uses of effort and resource and time and effort and resources can be realized. So yeah, really good stuff. Roth, what do you see with regards to budget, budget and resources being allocated in your experience too? You know, I, I imagine that CISOs are contending, you know, with a lot of things, right? You know, obviously the the evolution of infrastructure and the evolution of computational models and how we compute and how we work in a transient fashion and kind of the continued erosion of the perimeter, right? Where do you see most of those budgetary efforts being concentrated and, and, and personnel efforts. Do you see a higher degree of effort being placed on incident responders and intelligence entities? Do you see, or an analyst, do you see a greater degree of emphasis being placed on operational security folks? Where are you seeing people allocate their money? Or is it more or less, more so a case where funds are being allocated towards services or technologies? Uh, so I guess a lot of it, the answer to that question is de- it depends really, but I am seeing, and this is kind of what a lot of the industry analysts are saying, so this won't be anything startling or remarkable, I don't think. But there is a tremendous focus, as I said, on things like tools, rationalization, strategy development, which means we bought a bunch of stuff, right? It's it's all humming away in my environments. There's seven different endpoint tools. There's three different web gateways. We have like two different antiviruses, if you're lucky, across all these acquisitions we've done, blah, blah, blah. What of this actually is helping me versus what of this is hurting me? So we're seeing a I'm seeing a lot of services-driven product purchases, but it starts at the, at the services level, which is basically help me make sense of if those companies that are making spends, whether they're, they're having these budgetary discussions that I've been a part of, a lot of it's going towards help me understand my space, help me understand the kind of house I live in and whether I'm even, should I be, you know, does it makes sense for me to build a bunker or a house of glass? Like what makes the most sense? How many different tools is it okay for me to have versus 
what would make more sense and make me more operationally efficient. So I think if I'm understanding what I'm seeing, right, there's a huge, huge emphasis on operational efficiency, which is where I find my team doing a ton of work is somebody says, hey, no, no, we don't need to talk to anybody about IR. We're good. And I'm like, great. Let me show you what our what my framework looks like, and you guys can just simply you know self assess to that. And it turns out they come back with, you know, I've never even thought of that that as that as part of IM. It's like, well, incident management, right? There's so much to do in that space. Having IR tools, that's a very a significant, but a, not the overwhelming part of it. Be preparedness and planning and and practice and you know all this kind of stuff that goes into it around it, and sometimes that drives budget on the product side as well. But that's the kind of thing I'm personally seeing and um, the kinds of discussions I'm having is there is still a tremendous amount of confusion with respect to what's my next step. I've bought a bunch of stuff. I've got it all installed. Some of it works. Some of it's just simply installed and sitting out there. Some of it's general. I can measure the value it's giving me. Some of it, I think it works right, maybe. So that's kind of where I'm seeing things. How do you measure, though, some of those internal tools that are deployed for efficiency, effectiveness, for identification of, let's say, attacks? Like, say you have an endpoint tool, like the EDR is a big space right now, right? But, <laughs> but you, don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know yep. whether or not something has you know, infiltrated an organization or not. So how do, you, how do you describe that to a CISO? Like, what is the best way of measuring that with, you know, internally within someone's you know, organization? So I think the, the approach that I take with the leadership I talk to in the security space is... From a measurement perspective, right, let's decide what value looks like, what you're trying to achieve, and whether what you're doing and the tools you're using are helping or hurting. And something that I've seen, a trend that I've seen over the last seven, eight years, has been a shift away from defining process and strategy around tools, especially in the endpoint space, because there's so many options. We're starting to realize that the tools that we buy should support our strategy and our workflow and the way we operate, not the other way around. And I think that's, if there's a takeaway here, I think that for me is it, is that there's a realization that let's figure out how we want to operate, what processes and work streams you want to develop, who those will be, define how we're going to measure value, and then go find the tools gaps that we that we have today. Because, you know, let's, okay, let's focus on that endpoint EDR space you identify for just a second there. If you've never had, so you're the CISO that's got EDR vendor X, you've never detected a breach, you've never had, you know, malware on your endpoint, you have to be asking yourself, am I not seeing it or am I not catching it? Or is it simply not exist? So do I not know that it's happening or is it just that it's not happening? And the answer typically involves looking broader than that. Thing. So if you're talking about you know, endpoints, what's the impact of productivity? How fully deployed are you? How much time does it take to manage? If you're not seeing anything ever pop up off your dashboard, I recommend a thorough, or go back to your vendor and do a thorough review of whether it's working or not. <laughs> because I can't tell you, I've never met, I, in the last 12 months, I've not met anyone that's not had anything significant pop up on their dashboard at some point. So if you're seeing nothing, it's probably a bad sign. But the odds are that you know, whether you have a technology gap or not, it needs to be able to fit with the worldview that your organization has. Because if you're trying to, gosh, if you're trying to do, let's let's pick on application whitelisting for a second. If you're trying to do application whitelisting in a company which culturally and historically has not been used to restricting endpoints, one, you're in an uphill battle. 
Two, you're in a knife fight with a group that's armed with bazookas. And then three, you're going to get cheated every chance you take, right? Because somebody's going to go, well, prove to me that this is going to work. Go ahead. I dare you. Try to prove to somebody that's already stacked against you that what you're going to try to do by restricting them is, and then you end up with things like arguments, well, this technology restricts the company's creativity and creativity is what drives this company. So therefore we can't have this technology. And sometimes it's a cop-out answer. The rest of the time, and I, and I suspect that it's more often true than not, that's a good answer. So what do you do then? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really great point. You actually just described one of the last companies I worked for, you know, because culturally or, you know, what they're used to sometimes obviously could impede, you know, be impeded upon, you know, using something like application whitelisting or, you know, locking things down. So 100% agree. That was a, that's a great response, Ref. All right. So we've kind of talked about some of the challenges you're, you're being exposed to in, in, your, in your work with CISOs and what you're seeing them struggle with. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about efforts from a strategic perspective, as well as a a monetary and a resource allocation perspective. And we kind of, we, we broached the subject of patterns with regards to security strategy and the prioritization therein. Specifically speaking, taking advantage of what I would kind of think of as being the realization of what we have on hand, right? And how do we best optimize and maximize the value there before we go out and augment that? Um, do you see any current trends or potential trends associated with people foregoing that potential for optimization or the opportunity to optimize what they've gotten, truly maximize and realize what they've already invested in, in lieu of chasing the next shiny service or the next shiny product or, you know, the next aggressively marketed concept. Do you see that happening, Roth, or do you, or do you see more of a metered and, and measured approach being brought to bear amongst the CISO community? I think by and large with the amount of mentoring and sharing that's going on out there. Just a quick hat tip to the Advisor Alliance and what they're doing in terms of helping effectively CISOs help CISOs, right? So a lot of the fear-driven slide decks that you've seen, if you've worked in the enterprise side from vendors, a lot of that is going away because people are calling BS on it. In fact, I've been in a couple of meetings that start off with, before anybody says anything, the person running the meeting on the CISO side says, all right, let me just give you guys the lay of the land. I know the space. I know the problems. Talk to me how you're going to solve it and tell me how you're going to work with my environment. So that is a fantastic thing that I love hearing because it shows me that there's an awareness of sort of the, the other, you know, like the, the naivety is gone in a lot of these cases, right? Which is fantastic. But, you know, there's still, look, there, there's still going to be the, I just, you know, I've got a nail poking out of my wall. Somebody quick, sell me a hammer. And a lot of those people, that market's never really going to go away because it's always going to exist. It's always going to have a place. I'm seeing a shift towards a metered strategy that's looking down the line and saying, okay, let's just say that the panic is starting to subside with respect to, oh my gosh, we're going to be hacked. Oh my gosh, things are going to go sideways. That's starting to go away. So behind that is this sort of more metered, more rational approach to the way we approach enterprise security that incorporates conversations with legal and HR and risk and, and actually looks at tools and processes and workflows and how people interact in company culture and company profile. And that is an absolutely evolutionary change. So I think that that focus from purely tactical to a more strategic strategy-driven organization and away from management by headlines, as I like to call it, at a CIO I worked for once that 
whatever the headline of that week was, you can guarantee we're going to be asked if we're on, if we have a project activated to go deal with that, whether it was relevant to us or not, whether it was real or not, right? That's just how it worked. And so these headlines, these giant headline making incidents that we're seeing, it's starting to impact. Yes, the board will ask you or or your boss will ask you if you're a CISO, hey, just saw company X got breached. Two questions. One, are we going to get breached the same way? Two, does it impact us? Be prepared for that totally, but it should help you adjust your the way you implement your strategy and not drive your strategy altogether because then you end up with things like projects that never get finished because you're shiny, ooh, shiny, ooh, shiny, ooh, shiny, and it's just it's chaos and spending forever. Yep. No, I think that that's absolutely correct. I think you're right. You know, I think that there are a long time in the space, in the industry, and it's understandable, right? Because, Mar- you know, not to get on a soapbox, but it's understandable because of, of the way and the nature in which things are, are presented and marketed, right? You know, no one goes out and says, hey, we've got kind of a, a somewhat adequate product. <laughs> Would you like to take a look at it? People market with the intent of selling, right? So that's understood. But I, I'm glad to see that people are actually taking the time to take stock in what they've already invested in and then making informed decisions with regards to where they need to minimize those gaps or where they truly do need to invest in new things. So that's, that it really is encouraging to see. And well, I'm actually very heartened about the fact that things are moving in that in that direction and where the notion of strategy and tactics is being discussed, long-term planning, short-term adjustments, metered value, you know, KPIs, KRIs, these things are all being discussed in security leadership discussions that we're having. And, you know, just generally, I think this is a big deal to me. I'm pretty excited about that. Raf, is that across the board, like larger organizations particularly or smaller ones too? I mean, who's all like getting prepared for that? You know what? What's really cool is some of the biggest had done it before, but they're, you know, they continue on that path. The mid-sized ones are, are definitely getting into that game now. And everybody else is going, you know, whether you have, you know, $500 million in budget, $500 of budget, you still have to know what's the best return on the spend you're going to make. And you learn this quickly as a child because your parents give you X amount of money to go to spend at the candy store and you can't take everything. You have to, right? You have to, if you buy this, something else you have to put back. And so I feel like we're starting to, you know, become big kids and we're learning how to spend our money wisely and expect returns on it without trying to calculate some black magic ROI on the back end of it to justify insane notions of, you know, absolute security and, you know, things that have any sort of, you know, 100% in front of it because, there is none. I mean, death and taxes. That's it, folks. It's been that way since since the dawn of time, right? Since you know we we started keeping track of this stuff, and it's you know eventually things will devolve into an unfavorable situation, and you have to be prepared as as prepared as you can be for it. And when you're not, add that to your strategy for the next time. Well, that's great to hear. Excellent. So we're getting close to that time. So why don't we go ahead and take a moment to kind of finalize our questions. For Roth. One question that I do have for you, Roth, is that you've obviously got a passion for advocacy of, of frameworks as they relate to security programs. It actually reminds me of, of some of the work that I did years and years ago in consultancies prior to you know, going into the vendor space. What's your perception of the adoption of frameworks today as opposed to maybe 12, 13 years ago? Are people more, uh, more open and ready to adopt and perhaps in a turnkey style and fashion? bring a framework in place and then subsequently implement the appropriate resources to make that framework a reality? Or are you seeing bigger and larger scale programmatic developments built off of the premise of risk awareness and all things that involve things like ISMSs and things of that nature within organizations? Where are you seeing efforts and energies placed 
are those efforts and energies being realized in a way in which is advantageous to the business? Or are you seeing any you know, any degree of futility associated with those things? What's your thinking on that? Where, where do you see things going? Well, I think, you know, as a kind of parting thought on and particularly on framework. So that's obviously something I'm very passionate about. And I, aside from the answer of the ones I, my team produces, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I think overall, I'm a big fan of NIST. I think the general applicability of, of something that large. Look, any framework has two major challenges, okay? And and when you start to understand the challenges behind it, you can understand the utility of any, any particular framework. Anything we do or NIST included has the same same two problems. One, being broad enough to be applicable to just about everyone, right? And at the same time, being specific enough to be useful. And that sounds really easy until you try to write that down. Because any framework, right? Whether it's you know a framework for building a car, if you say it has to have four wheels, not every car is going to have four wheels. Some have six. What happens then? What if you have three? Is it still a car? So the whole notion of has to be specific enough and at the same time accommodating enough, these are challenges. I think NIST, of all the frameworks out there, I think NIST is a good one to start with because I think it looks at things from a logical perspective. And I'm a big fan of frameworks because I think if you're not building off of one, you're guessing. And if I was guessing, I'd probably be wrong. So I don't like to guess. That's, that's you know, people's privacy, you know, profits. And unfortunately, sometimes people's lives is, is what we play with when we guess. And I'd rather not. I'd rather build off of something somebody else has done well. And if that's the case, then frameworks are the place to go because, you know, choose one that's that has some industry sourcing, that has some history around it that's been done before so that you don't you don't want to be reinventing the metrics you use and the, the way you derive value every time. Because if, the, if I've learned anything, it's that everybody's special, but we're all still snowflakes at the end of the day, right? So that specialness is what requires flexibility. The fact that we're all snowflakes is what requires some formality. And that's kind of what I've, you know, what I've spent the last two and a half coming up on a three years. Holy cow, it's going to be three years soon working on is solving for that to be able to to be able to to drive repeatability, scale, efficiency. Those are all important to me. Excellent. Very good. Tim, you have any any final questions or comments for, for Roth? Yeah, I guess just one more ref. On the point about the the NIST framework, I mean, do you guys have assessments against NIST framework for organizations just to see where they're they're at, I guess, along that stage or I mean how do you go about pitching that? The nice thing about NIST is you can go download it and, and run your own checklist. You don't have to go pay a consultant to do it. I think that's the nice thing. The thing that I think the consultants and others provide value in is helping you make sense of that given somebody else's broad experience. What part of NIST is relevant to you? That goes back because NIST is a set of a set of controls. Are those controls going to be valuable for you? It's a good question. Are they going to be valuable for your industry? Better question. Are they going to provide value to you in a, in a way that's measurable and more valuable than another control you can put in? That's the question right there. So that's my take on it. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's really just digesting that framework. For some companies, it might be too much. So so having your expertise in there, it would you know be certainly ideal. So yeah, that was great, Raph. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks, Raph, very much for joining us again. Thanks also to Optiv for endorsing your participation. We really appreciate that. That's all for this episode, episode number five. Two housekeeping items before we conclude. First one being our next episode, episode six, we'll have a special guest, Mr. Dave Lewis, a global security advocate for Akamai, will be joining us. And that will be taking place, excuse me, the last week of May. So not too far away. 
getting on with Mr. Lewis and talking about all things related to security from his perspective. And in addition to that, we've got a contest going on right now for you, our lucky listeners. We are in the process of raffling off a free pass to B-Sides London for a listener who can answer the following question. Based on Roth's experience, what is the top focus for CISOs today? Listeners can check out the Digital Guardian blog for details on how to enter and also look for information there with regards to announcement of a winner and also on our Twitter feed. Thanks again, Roth, for joining us. Tim, thanks for your participation, making this podcast go smoothly as always. Thank you to the listeners. We welcome your feedback and we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to what we have to say. Until next time. Mm -hmm.